Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. In today's special episode, we sat down with Daniel DiMartino, founder of the Dissident Project. Its goal is to educate high school students in America about the dangers of socialist regimes. How does the Chinese communist regime tie into what he experienced in Venezuela and what he sees playing out here in America? Let's dive in. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you, Tiffany. So right now in the U.S., especially in the education field, there's a lot of talk about critical race theories, other terms, and there's a lot of hatred towards this country, especially America. And so you're from Venezuela. What do you see? Yes, well, I see what so many high schools and colleges are teaching young kids and, and teenagers and college-age students that it is really the fault of like America that bad things happen in the world or you know that this country is not really superior or exceptional to the rest of the world or even that the way to solve our problems is to imitate the policies that really destroyed my home country of Venezuela and that concerns me because you know some people will say no it's a lie that they're teaching these things in schools well it is not because I went to college in the United States and I saw it firsthand how teachers push an ideology on students. And if a student is, you know, not, not political enough and not already resistant to that, they will think that the professor is right because they don't even present an alternative point of view. And so that's why I began the, and started the Dissident Project, which is a nonprofit organization, part of Young Voices, another uh, nonprofit PR firm that um, we, we have a group of eight speakers who came from socialist countries and we're sending ourselves to high schools all over the country to speak about our experiences, why we left Venezuela, why they left North Korea, Hong Kong, and Cuba to come to the United States, where all young people who can connect with the high school students and tell them more stories and also why the United States is a great country and why we should not imitate the policies that so many politicians are proposing that are just like those of the their home countries. Yes, because I've already been speaking at universities for several years, and the experience is very different from speaking to high schools. Uh, unfortunately, when you go and, and speak at a university, it's usually a conservative or libertarian a student organization that invites you. And therefore, the people who show up at your event are mostly already in, agree in agreement with you. And therefore, you're just there as kind of like a motivational speaker. Some people might be there with ha having some doubts, and it's useful. You know, I'm not downplaying their, their importance. But when you go to a high school, first you get much more attendance than at college events, where maybe up to 50 people will go. In high schools, maybe at least 50 people will go because the, the teacher sends the whole class. And sometimes the whole school college into the brainwashing leftist machine. 
And so what kind of results or impact have you seen through this project? Well, uh, I spoke at a high school in Massachusetts back in February um, in a very liberal area, middle class area. And uh, I had a fantastic experience, much better than I ever expected to have. Uh, you know, some of the school administration was not very happy that I went, but they agreed to have me. And the teachers who invited me were very happy to have me um, because they did, of course, want their students to hear about it. And the students had, had a fantastic reaction. Like, they wanted to even take pictures with me. They asked great questions. You know, like 60, 70 students showed up. Um, it's, it was just, you know, uh, very fulfilling because you saw them learn about something that they were not being taught in school, what happens in Venezuela, and why the story of Venezuela is so important for America. And so going forward, since critical race theories and all these about like hating your country is being taught in schools, what can be done to counter that? Right. You know, it's, there's a growing movement within the conservative uh, movement and, and the right in the United States that is about banning critical race theory. And personally, I agree with that. However, it is not enough to stop teaching students bad things. We have to start teaching them good things. And that's what the Dissident Project is about. It's about teaching students that America is a worthy, exceptional country, that uh, that's why immigrants like us came to America, immigrants who are close to the age of these students that we're speaking to, um, and, and that it's not okay to try to destroy America to, to turn it into a socialist country. That instead of seeking to expand government, we need to do things in a smart way. We need to do the things in a way that uh, respects our institutions, that respects our constitution, that um, allows people to be free to choose economically, politically, you know, socially, instead of having the government pick for us. Because that's what led to, to the disaster of Venezuela. We're a nonpartisan organization. We're not here to tell students to vote for the Democrats, to vote for the Republicans. We're here to tell them that the government owning the means of production or controlling businesses or um, you know, for, you know, restricting our liberties, that's, it's a bad thing. And that we're blessed to live in America where so far that hasn't happened, but where there are people who want to make it happen and we cannot allow them to. So you mentioned, Daniel, how you kind of saw Venezuela go from maybe middle class American lifestyles to really collapsing. And so what really pushed that? What was behind that in Venezuela? Well, it was Hugo Chavez who was elected in 1998, just a few months after, you know, a month really after I was before I was born. And um, his government changed Venezuela from the richest country in America to the poorest. Um, you know, Venezuelans were told that Venezuela is not Cuba. We will never become a socialist country because we have oil, because we're rich, because we're a democracy. Cuba was not a democracy. It was a coup that happened in Cuba. You know, this is a free election that how we elected Chavez. He cannot change our country like this. And the reality is that today, Venezuela is even less free than Cuba economically. So it's true, Venezuela is not Cuba. It is worse than Cuba now. And these are the same people who are telling people all over the world, Colombia is in Venezuela, America is in Venezuela, uh, Nicaragua is in Venezuela. And guess what? When these politicians succeed, they turn their countries into something like Venezuela.
And that's why we cannot allow that to happen in the United States. And so it was Chavez who nationalized businesses, who imposed price controls on, on the private businesses that were left. Uh, it was Chavez who, you know, uh, hired millions of government workers, took them out of the private sector and put them in useless government agencies like the Vice Ministry for Supreme Social Happiness or for eco-socialism, you know, ecological socialism. Um, it was him who did that and destroyed our economy. Now Maduro, his successor, who was handpicked by, by, by Chavez, um, is the one that's running things. And guess what? Recently, they actually lifted price controls in Venezuela. And as a consequence, there are no more shortages in the country, which shows that it's not really even about political authoritarianism. Venezuela is still a tyranny. that make people's lives better. Um, and so that's how people become rich. In Venezuela now, the only way to become rich under the socialist system is to be hooked up and corrupt with the regime. And so that's, that's the, the Marxism that happened, right? You know, Chavez would say being a rich person is a bad thing while he was wearing a Rolex watch. And, and there's videos and photos of this everywhere. So that's the hypocrisy of socialists. Um, and China is very much involved, the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, when Chavez started printing all this money that created inflation because he wanted to spend all this on welfare and government jobs and things like that, who do you think gave him a lot of the money? It was the Chinese uh, state-owned banks who lent Venezuela billions of dollars. And who do you think?
So on this note of struggling against, say, class, race, sex, all of these things, in America, it seems socialism is gaining popularity, right? There's this recent poll that shows among young people, especially four out of 10 view it as a positive thing. And so what are the consequences of that going forward? Well, the, the consequences is that they're gonna be more likely to vote for politicians who promise them that we're gonna give you this free thing, this other free thing. Um, and look, everybody wants free things. If I'm offered something for free and I want it, I'll take it. Um, but the problem is that the government, uh, when they give us free things, they're not really free, right? They're free to
offensive anti-authoritarian strategy in the free world, where free leaders, you know, leaders of the free world meet and agree on things and steps to protect free nations from authoritarian attacks, and also to try to expand freedom in authoritarian nations, like providing free internet to Cubans from Miami through, you know, with technology. We could do that today. Yes, it would cost some money, but that's what it takes to expand freedom. And I'm not talking about going to war, I'm talking about just practical steps to help people rise up in those countries. And we can do that and we should do that. We have that duty. And now zooming in on, say, the grassroots individual level, because a lot of this sounds like it's up to the individual, right? So going back to your dissident project, how can really the student movement help maybe expand out to make these policies happen? Well, first, um, you know, if you want to invite us to your schools, um, you know, if you're a teacher, then just go to dissidentproject.org. Um, so dissident has double S, dissidentproject.org, and you can contact us. We'll, go, we'll send someone to, to your school, and it has no cost at all to a school. Uh, it is not free, right? You know, a donor funds it. Uh, no, nothing is free. But, you know, the school won't pay for it because I don't think the school should have to, to pay for this experience for the students and want to make it accessible to everyone. Um, and, you know, this is not going to have an immediate political impact. This is going to have an impact long term. And we hope that from this small start of the decision project with eight speakers, this grows. And it grows to many more speakers and it grows to many more schools. So that it becomes a national movement where every single high school in the United States teaches about the evils of socialism. That's the ultimate goal. So that America will have a curricular policy in high schools across the country established by each state, like the state of Florida did, that is anti-socialist. That it is pro-freedom and that is pro-America. That's the ultimate goal. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for the opportunity, Tiffany. That was Daniel DiMartino, founder of The Dissident Project. And joining us after the break, John Mills, retired colonel and former director of cybersecurity at the Defense Department. He touches on what the recent headlines on TikTok is revealing about the Chinese regime's cyber attacks on America and what it means for each individual. That and more in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Joining me now, John Mills, retired colonel and former director of cybersecurity at the Defense Department. He touches on what the recent headlines on TikTok is revealing about the Chinese regime's cyber attacks on America and what it means for each individual. Let's dive in. John, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Tiffany, thank you. Always an honor to be on your show. So recently in the headlines a lot is TikTok and how Americans' user data is being sent back to China. But behind all of this, what is the bigger cyber threat from China to America? Well, uh, TikTok has always represented uh, one tentacle of the CCP essentially establishing a digital twin of every one of us. It is a big data gathering platform of all of our behaviors, of, of our, our personalities, and they are essentially using this to populate their, their big data and then their ability to conduct big data search and big data analytics. 
to create a, a digital twin of every one of us, our interests, what we like to watch, how we behave, how we react when we're watching it, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's very concerning. And so on the digital twin part, one of TikTok's upside is its special algorithm that makes it so addicting. So in the U.S. alone, there's about 140 million active users per month, and most of those are teenagers. So if this is such a big threat, how can maybe teens especially get weaned off it? Well, it, it, it is essentially an addiction that they, they essentially have to be uh, perhaps receive professional counseling. Uh, obviously, parental uh, intervention and parental, uh, that's one of the first things. And closely tied to this is, is fentanyl. I know that's, uh, that's a topic for, for another show. But uh, this, is, this is, they are being psychologically broken down in many ways and conditioned. And it's, it's interesting that how the CCP, even within China, has started to essentially uh, uh, govern and uh, uh, limit viewership because they know it's producing some crazy behavior. So it is essentially a process to essentially take the, take the youth off of an addiction on a pathway back to normalcy. And so given these risks, John, why can't the U.S. just go out and ban these apps outright, say TikTok or WeChat? What's stopping us? Uh, frankly, the current administration that is occupying the White House, it's no more complicated than that. Uh, uh, President Trump had the knowledge and the will. Uh, Secretary Pompeo was very effective uh, in his clean network initiatives and 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 and. TikTok is also can, must be considered a civil military fusion company. There is nothing good that comes out of these civil military fusion companies. They are an extension of CCP asserting the, the nation state will of the Chinese Communist Party and should be looked at. These are not innocent. These are these are not uh, this is this is something to be taken very seriously. So we just need an administration uh, that will take this seriously. TikTok was in the crosshairs uh, of uh, uh, coming onto the entities list, which is one of the first steps. That's Department of Commerce maintains that list. Uh, and, and closely associated act, uh, uh, civil military companies such as uh, DJI have, have been uh, very, and the, the, uh, the, the, the Biden administration has not only maintained, but uh, in many ways actually strengthened the uh, the uh, statements on DJI and uh, and and put them squarely with even more control measures onto the entities list. So uh, we we must treat TikTok the same way. Big, our own big tech is essentially enabling this. Uh, so uh, big tech is is not acting in the in the interest of the American people. And so maybe from the everyday, ordinary person perspective, are there any steps they can do to kind of help against this? Well, it, it, it is uh, should be considered uh, a, a platform, a venue, a social media site that is not good. It's as simple as that. Uh, th this is not something that uh, people, we, we are essentially, it is a, a view into our lives uh, we are giving to a hostile foreign power. Would we have... Uh, 
uh, if something like this existed during the legacy Cold War, would we have, have wanted the Soviet Union to be inside our uh, mobile devices, inside our houses, inside our smart, uh, inside of our smart appliances? Of, of course not. There would have been much more uh, swift action. Uh, we just—it's an education process to tell American parents. Hey, American parents, uh, just like you're fighting for control of our schools, our school boards, our county councils, this is a window into our personal lives that is, uh, there is nothing good that comes out of this. John, thank you so much. Always great to have you on the show. Thank you, Tiffany. Always an honor to be with you. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. That was John Mills, retired colonel and former director of cybersecurity at the Defense Department. And in the first half, we heard from Daniel DiMartino, founder of the Dissident Project. Thanks for watching China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer, and see you soon.